Um, we are looking at the book of Joshua this, uh, the, for the most of this autumn term, which I have to say I'm very excited about. I'm very excited about looking at the, the story of Joshua. They cross a river, uh, which is very good, and uh, it's a great story, actually. I don't know if any of you have been reading the story of Joshua recently, but it is a great story with so much to learn. I just want to say a few things about Joshua in general, the book of Joshua, that is, as we start off the series, just to help us think about what kind of book it is before we turn to the text. Uh, first of all, it is a historical story. Different bits of the Bible uh, have more or less uh, sort of external historical evidence for them. Um, just to say, Joshua and the story of the Israelites' conquest of Canaan is one of those bits where there is just loads of external supporting evidence, in case you wanted to know. There's loads of archaeology that shows that around this time in history, loads of walled cities in the land of Canaan were destroyed and taken over by people who had a different culture, people who were semi-nomadic. That is, the people of Israel. There is widespread agreement amongst those who've looked at it that this stuff happened. It, yeah, it's true. Okay, I thought you might, be, might like to know sometimes that the Bible, you know, it's always true, but sometimes there are other supports to show that it's true. So there we go. Secondly then, it's got an interesting style. The style of the book, I'd like to... Uh, described to you as edited highlights, a bit like you get on Match of the Day. You don't get to see the whole story played out, you just get to see the best bits. Um, But actually, it's a little bit more complicated than that. The style of the book of Joshua is a little bit like somebody wanted to make sure that we got all of the best bits of the story, and so took the best bits of Match of the Day and edited them further together with the best bits of ITV and Sky Sports coverage as well. And so... Page after page after page is just on the button. It's energetic, it's significant for us, but it doesn't always flow quite so smoothly as all of that. And when you read through, you might read something in one chapter and think, I'm not quite sure how that flows into what's in the next chapter. That's fine. That's because it has been edited for us to give us the highlights that are of most significance to us. That's why it's like that. Um, The story does also raise some quite difficult questions. As we go through, um, we'll realise that the story talks about a holy war. We might rightly call some of what goes on ethnic cleansing, and we might have questions about the extent to which this text has justified uh, military activity in the Middle East in the last century. So there are some, some challenging questions in here as well. And as we go through this term, not necessarily on Sunday mornings, but we hope to put on uh, other opportunities to grapple with some of those questions such that our confidence in the word of God will be deepened as we grapple with some of the harder things that it might raise as questions in our minds as well. Having said all of that, there is a clear theme to the book and the theme of the book is to do with the victory of faith. God's people got hold of trust in God and they succeeded in conquering the promised land. So the theme of the book is the victory of faith. Now, it seems that nowadays any successful story gets a prequel. So we used to just have Star Wars, but then we got Star Wars episode one, two, and three. Superman has Smallville. 
Batman has Dark Knight, Batman Begins, and Joshua's not left out. We have a Joshua prequel, really. Joshua Begins, uh, not just in one previous book of the Bible, but spread through the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There is the backstory for what happened in Joshua's life before we get to the book of Joshua. I want to tell you a little bit about it. Joshua was born in slavery in Egypt. He came out of slavery through the plagues that God brought to break the hardness of Pharaoh's heart so that the people would be set free. Joshua came out of that slavery in Egypt and actually led the Israelite army in its first battle. He became Moses' aide and went with Moses up Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Came back down Sinai with Moses and was stood there when Moses smashed the first set on the floor in his astonishment and shock at the golden calf having been built. But God's promise to his people was not only freedom from slavery in Egypt, but it was actually to find rest and well-being in the promised land, the land of Canaan, a land that had been promised to Abraham and had been promised to Jacob. And so the people of Israel, Joshua in their midst, approached through the desert the land of Canaan and Moses sent 12 spies into the land to see what it was like, to get a military report. Joshua was one of those 12 spies. When they came back, All 12 agreed that it was a great land, flowing with milk and honey, abundant food, just a wonderful place to live, a great place that you could be at rest and enjoy the well-being of God's blessing. But 10 of the spies looked at the people who were there and said, they are big. And, uh, you know, we looked like grasshoppers in there. Someone said something this morning about us being grasshoppers in God's sight was with the reading, I think. And, uh, but between these people, they said, these big people looked at us and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and they saw us that way as well. And they came back, the 10 of the 12, and said, no way, we, we can't do it, they're too big. And you know what, their cities have got big walls. It's a problem. And uh, you know, we really shouldn't try. And there were just two of the spies who said, no, we can do it. Of course we can do it. We've got God with us. And Joshua was one of those two optimistic spies. An optimism based on his knowledge of what the Lord God is like. But the people of Israel listened to the ten and not the two. And they said, no way, we're not going to try to get into the land. Uh, it then became clear to them that they'd made a mistake. They, they later on had a go. It didn't work because actually they hadn't trusted God. And God said to them, right, that's it. This whole generation of fighting men, men aged 20 to 60, this whole generation of fighting men who refused to go up and to take the land that I was giving to them, I'm going to wait for them all to die before we come back round again and have another go until it will be time to enter into the promised land. And that's what happened. So Joshua lived 40 years. It says 38 years, but 40 years... Obviously, there are different markers in time that people were using in this journey that they lived on. But a generation went by 
about 40 years, in which Joshua lived in the desert with the people whom he'd encouraged could go in faith into the land, but who refused. And he watched whilst a generation of them died and were buried in the desert. As Moses, the leader of God's people at this time, as Moses got towards the end of his life, God spoke to him and said to him to start leading the people back towards the border of the promised land. Moses too had erred, made a mistake out of his frustration. And so he too had been told by God that he wouldn't enter the promised land. But as he got towards the end of his life, God said, go back towards it, take the people back towards it. And uh, they did that. They went up, ran the east side of the River Jordan, and uh, some of the people that lived there came out to them aggressively and attacked them. And as Israel responded, they succeeded with God's help in conquering those tribes under Moses' leadership. When Moses' time was very nearly over, he asked God who it was who should succeed him. Which points out that Joshua was not the clear-cut kind of slam-dunk guy. It wasn't obvious to everyone that he was going to be the next leader. Because Moses had to pray and ask God, who should it be? Maybe it could have been Caleb, the other faith-filled, optimistic spy. Maybe it should have been Moses' sons. Maybe it should have been some other priest or something. Moses inquired of God and he said, it's Joshua. Joshua's your man to succeed you as leader. And then Moses died, leaving Joshua in charge of the people east of the Jordan, having conquered some people, um, but a people of fairly mixed faith, it would be fair to say. Their parents had died in the desert, and they were certainly nervous of repeating the same errors. But we're about to enter into this. This is the point at which the book of Joshua picks up the story, the the point of Moses' death and Joshua's succession to the leadership role. So should we read the story? Start reading it. I'm going to read Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. That's the Mediterranean. That's what we call it now. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. 
Meditate on it, day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, These were the tribes that were living in the conquered land east of the Jordan. I said some tribes had been conquered and their land had been taken. And some of the Israelites had already set up home in that land east of the Jordan. And it had been agreed that they could stay there east of the Jordan rather than coming over in the long term to live in Canaan. So these are the people to whom Joshua now speaks, to the Reubenites the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said. Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he's done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you've commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So... Sometime soon after Moses' death, God spoke to Joshua, saying, Now it's time. Now it's time to enter Canaan. The previous generation had failed to enter the land because of their unbelief. And God says, Now it's time to overcome that unbelief. Now it's time to believe. It's time to believe that you are going to get out of this desert and into a better life. It's time to believe. Now, listen, this is my main point for the morning. If you hear anything I say this morning at all, okay, this is it. This is it. It is time for us to believe. That's it. I've got a few more things to say, but, you know, that's the thing I really, really, really want to communicate as we look at this passage together this morning. It is time for us to believe. It's time for us to enjoy a better life. 
It's one thing to be saved from slavery, but it's another thing to enjoy a victorious, abundant, restful life. The Israelites were God's people when they were in the desert, but they lacked the rest that they had been promised. And so many Christians are like the previous generation of Israelites. It's like we've been, slaved, we've been saved from slavery to sin, from oppression by the devil, but we know that there is so much more for us yet to obtain. You know, we read stories of church history and of the amazing things that have gone on through the centuries that God has done. We hear stories of what's happening in other nations or in other parts of our nation, and we know that there is so much more. And we say, thank you, God, that you took us out of slavery. Our lives are immeasurably better than they were, but we know that there is more. There is a blessing, an abundance, and a well-being that we have yet to obtain. Again and again in this chapter, it says, be strong. Now, I think that's odd, really. It's a strange thing to say. I mean, either you are strong or you're not. You might become strong. You could say to somebody, become strong. But be strong requires a little bit of digging to say, what does that really mean? Now, it wasn't a command to Joshua to psych himself up and simply to believe that he was strong, like some kind of modern-day self-help positive thinking to start each morning saying, I will succeed. I am supremely confident. I feel the power of positivity flowing through my body. Like he could just change his mind and that would do it. It's actually not about being strong or feeling strong. It's about belief in God. Actually, the Hebrew words can help us here. Uh, There's a little bit of benefit from my having been absent for three months to do a bit of study, is my knowledge of biblical languages has gone up a smidge. And I was looking up what the Hebrew word here might suggest in a little bit more detail. The NIV translation is a good translation. These people do know what they're doing when they translate the Bible. They really do. Um, But there is a nuance to the word in Hebrew, which is helpful for us. The word that's about being strong, the root of it comes from binding things together to make them strong. That's the kind of strength it is. And I think we could well translate this thing here, be strong, as pull yourself together, Joshua. Pull yourself together. And then the next bit about being courageous has a sense of getting ready for action. Pull yourself together. Get ready for action. There's a poster from the Second World War that's become popular of the last couple of years, isn't there, that says, uh, it was one of these propaganda posters from the British government, keep calm and carry on. In the midst of the panic of the Second World War, keep calm and carry on. Now, what God has to say to Joshua is similar, but a little bit more active and dynamic. Pull yourself together and get ready for action which is something that was within his power to do. It wasn't now the time. The time for entering Canaan had not come about 
because all of the Israelites were now really spiritual people. It wasn't because they'd seen the error of their parents and said, oh, we must avoid that unbelief, and got into faith and got themselves all sorted. We know this because in Deuteronomy 9, just to clear up any doubt whatsoever, uh, it says, after the Lord your God has driven out the nations before you in Canaan, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of the land because of my righteousness. No, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity, because you haven't got a lot, that you're going to take possession of the land. Uh, Understand then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. So it's not because the Israelites have suddenly got themselves all sorted out and become spiritually strong and all the rest of it, but... It was time in God's, uh, in God's processes, he looks over the whole of history, he decided it was now time for them to receive. It wasn't time for them to receive the promised land because Joshua felt great about it. I mean, if somebody is feeling great and on top of their game, you don't need to tell them to pull themselves together and be strong and courageous. You say that to a person who's a little bit nervous and trembling. Most of us, here's a statement, most of us are too strong for God to use. Let just sink in a second. Most of us are too strong for God to use. We're too full of our own schemes and plans and ways of doing things. The world talks of the survival of the fittest, but God as Keith read from Isaiah 40, gives power to the faint. And the New Testament tells us that he perfects his strength in our weakness. The New Testament also says that God uses things that are not. And you can't get much weaker than that, can you? I mean, you can see uh, they were struggling to find words in the Greek language that could express just how profoundly powerless it's possible to feel things that are not. God uses things that are not in order to bring to naught the things that are. The weak people who can't succeed, who face overwhelming odds, and who cry out to God, are the ones who see the greatest miracles. What ma- Can we have the next picture, please? What matters is not whether we are struggling to keep our heads above water, but the fact that God is with us and he is mighty to save on a different order altogether compared to our power to succeed. So it's time to believe. It's time to believe that God is with us. Now the promise of God's presence comforts us in difficult times. Psalm 23 is wonderful. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Wonderful promise. Wonderful, wonderful verse. But here, in Joshua, the promise of God's presence means even more than comfort in distressing times. Here, 
God's presence is the guarantee of victory. The guarantee of success. It says in verse 5, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. You know, the success that we read of in church history, the success that we read of in other parts of the world as people live their Christian lives, doesn't ha- it didn't happen and it doesn't just happen. It, it didn't just happen and it doesn't just happen. It happens because God is with his people. As God was with previous generations, he is also with us. The God who was with Elijah on Mount Carmel with Esther before King Xerxes, with Peter in the temple, with Paul in the prison at Philippi, he is with us. Right here, right now. And he's been with his people throughout all generations. He was with Columba and Aden and Cuthbert as they led the tribes of Britain to Christ during the Dark Ages. He was with the men and women of the Cistercian abbeys of this nation in the Norman era, who so glowed with the love of God that the whole of society sought their favour. He was with George Whitfield in 1737 when he went and spoke to the coal miners of Bristol, men of whom respectable citizens were afraid, men who had recently dug up the corpse of a murderer who'd committed suicide to escape justice and held a festival around the body. To such men, George Whitfield went and spoke of the love of Jesus for sinners, and they listened in silence until their tears made white gutters on their coal-blackened faces. God was with George Whitfield, and God is with us. God was with Florence Nightingale in the 1850s as she popularised pie charts and led a a revolution towards evidence-based nursing practice, which has saved untold lives around the globe. And he's with us. God was with Billy Graham in the 1950s as he preached at Haringey in London and 80,000 people committed their lives to Jesus. And God is with us. They didn't succeed... Because they lived in easier times. But because God was with them. And as God was with them, so he is with with us. Just thinking about this building that we're in this morning. um, I'm glad Stuart Larkin's here. I want to embarrass him slightly. It's it's going to be okay, Stuart. It's good. It's okay. It's good. Early on in the process of our considering... Acquiring a centre of this kind, Stuart went on our behalf to the planners. I hope I get this story right. I think I'll get it right. You know I'm not great with detail. He's looking nervous now. And, um, and the planners said something along the lines of, no way. I mean, you, you're not getting that. And, uh, and Stuart said, you know, you've seen that film, The Prince of Egypt? You know the bit where the waters are parted and a whale swims by? Yeah, yeah that's our God. We'll get planning permission. And here we are. Praise God. Uh, four years ago, the mortgage on this building was at, at standing at £1.6 million, and it wasn't going down as fast as we'd like it to have done. 
And Steve Thomas led a number of us in praying one morning for a breakthrough in seeing the mortgage come down from what was still a very large amount. We'd seen it come down, but still a very large amount of money. The next morning, a cheque arrived. So the mortgage was £1.6 million. We asked for a significant breakthrough. The next morning, he received, he arrived at your place, didn't it? A cheque for £790,000, which had been posted before we prayed. It happens because God is with us. We've got a team now looking at starting a school in the city of Oxford. If you are on the team, are we calling them governors? Well, whatever. We're not good with titles, are we? If you think you might be on a team that might be called school governors for starting a school in Oxford, you know, could you stand up a second, please? Because these guys are forming a team uh, to look into us starting a school uh, in the city of Oxford that will be a blessing to children uh, in our city. You can sit down again now. Thanks very much. Um, in the 19th century, George Muller founded 117 schools without once asking for money. Oh, by the way, he was widowed at the age of 65, remarried at the age of 66, and started an international travelling ministry at the age of 70, which went on for 17 years. Anyway, by God's grace, um, because God was with him, he started 117 Christian schools. Um, I was going to embarrass David Freeman as well this morning. I don't think he's... David's not here this morning, is he? Uh, David is a wonderful man of God in our congregation here, married to Rosie, who has been involved in starting schools all around the world. Um, It's incredible. And he is a man of prayer who believes that since God is with us, the battle is ours. Um, Anna is, I'm sure, where's Anna? She's going to, I've lost her. she's, She's doing kids stuff. Great, okay. Oh, no. Oh, there you are. There you are. Brilliant. Um, as I, I mean, you're going to Uganda because David's kind of caught hold of you and got you envisioned for things. Um, and that's, he's got other people coming alongside him. And it, so much of it is to do with the fact that it's about br- confidence that since God is with us, the battle is ours. We needn't be intimidated, but we can go forward and see amazing things happen. We sent John and Non Bilson to Paris um, They've got a team of just uh, eight of them. And uh, just recently, I don't know if you heard the news over the summer, they saw three people born again. Just pretty good. Statistically, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's like, someone do the figures for me. 37.5, there's a math teacher. 37.5%. Growth, that's good going. And they're not done with this calendar year yet. Um, Richard, since you've spoken up, um, the workplace cluster that you guys are gathering, the workplace group, you know, as any, just reminds me about the workplace, as God was with Florence Nightingale in her workplace, which were the disease-ridden wards of hospitals in the Crimean War. It's pretty rough work. If you think your workplace is bad, <laughs> bit of perspective. Um, as God was with Florence Nightingale in her workplace, so he is with you. Wherever you go, wherever your work takes you. So we may feel out of our depth. We may not even have that little snorkel to keep us going. Um, We might even feel at times that we're drowning. But God is with us. We've sung a song already that touches on something that Isaiah wrote. 
No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. It's time to believe. And it's time to believe that God is with us. Is there some kind of... uh, I have to say amen rather than amen because it's a congregational response thing. So when we do that, it's time to believe that God is with us. Amen. Okay. Good. There's a bit of faith and a debate about whether we should say amen or amen. We'll have that discussion later. One of in Egypt, they say amen in the Coptic church. So whatever. As long as you're agreeing, I don't mind. You can, as long as you're agreeing, it is time to believe that God is with us. Here's something else that it's time to believe. It's time to believe in God's word. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Pull yourself together. Get ready for action. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Joshua was commanded to obey the word of God. And to achieve that, how? By meditating on it. The route to obedience to the word of God was first to meditate upon the word. Faith comes, you see, by hearing the word, Romans 10, 17. You gain faith in the word of God by reading it. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. So the Bible is God's word to us. And I hope this doesn't sound too technical, but it's self-validating. That is, it speaks for itself. It not only has a ring of truth about it, it has a fountain of life in it. And when we read it, it touches us and it impacts us. We don't believe that the Bible is true and to be the word of God because of fine academic arguments, but because we've read it. And it has been spirit and life to us. And where else can we go to find the truth about God? Now, the fine-sounding arguments are not only fine-sounding, they are fine. Uh, You know, I I mentioned the thing about archaeology and that it's good to understand some of the rational things that buttress our faith. And actually our faith is very reasonable. But our belief that the Bible is God's very word, actually we hold it with such conviction because God has spoken to us through it and it is spirit and it is life to us. And we gain faith by reading the word. It's not that when we're pumped up with faith and feeling like we're really good Christians, we kind of now feel sufficiently motivated to actually open it. That's the wrong way around. We gain faith by reading it. If you are doubting the Bible, the best thing you can do is to read it. Not to go and read lots of books about it, but read it and let God speak to you. Spurgeon wrote, he who has once 
got fairly into the scriptures can never leave them. The book holds you as a magnet holds a needle or as a flower holds a bee. If you want great thoughts, read your Bible. If you want something simple, read your Bible. If you want the deepest and highest truth that ever was, read your Bible. It's no ordinary book. See, some words impart mere information. A meeting will be happening at such and such a time. Um, But there are other words. Words like, I forgive you. Or, I baptise you. They're words that do things. And so it is with the Bible. It's living and active and it does stuff to us. It changes us. During the study break that I had in the summer term, Bev and I went with the kids to Peterborough, to a great church there um, called Kingsgate Community Church. And uh, led by, for those of you who've met or heard of him, a guy called Dave Smith. Um, and uh, I think Dave Smith was due to be preaching that morning, but because of the Icelandic volcanic ash, was stuck on, on holiday at a Red Sea resort. Uh, it's rubbish, isn't it? Um, and so somebody else was preaching. And uh, I have to say that our reflection on it was that it was okay, the message. I mean, I've met the guy since then who spoke. He's a lovely guy. And it was a good message, but it wasn't, it wasn't exceptional. And I don't think he would claim that it was exceptional. It was just kind of like we know life. Somebody spoke from the Bible. Um, at the end of the meeting, though, and they said, so who wants to become a Christian? And about 20 people said, yes, please. Uh, and came to the front. And they said to, we spoke to some of the people that are uh, involved there week in, week out afterwards and said, so tell us a little bit about what's going on. They said, oh, yeah, we have about 25, because that was in one service, yeah. We have about 25 people respond to the invitation to become a Christian every week. That only about a third of those are like genuine first time, never heard the gospel before. Uh, the rest are making some kind of recommitment. We're like, oh, that's rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, it was quite incredible. And uh, actually, on Easter Sunday, they had the Lord Mayor of Peterborough come with her chains on, with a chauffeur and, you know, and all of the stuff that the Lord... We had the Lord Mayor come last October, didn't we, um, for Oxford. But the Lord Mayor of Peterborough went there on Easter Sunday, thinking that would be a good thing to do, biggest church in town, turn up on Easter Sunday. Anyway, end of the meeting, she was down the front of the hall with the rest of them giving a life to the Lord, gold chains and everything. You see, when you see the word of God functioning as spirit and life, it's time to believe the word of God. It's time to believe in the word of God. That's why Joshua had to read the law, keep meditate on it. It was going to build his faith up and then he would obey. Because the challenge in obeying God's word for Joshua wasn't an issue of clarity over what to do. It was like, go and take the land. This is the land, you know, Lebanon, desert, Euphrates, Mediterranean, land. Take, not complicated, really. The challenge was having the faith when God said, okay, Jericho, just kind of walk around it. 
and it'll fall down, trumpets, pray, it'll fall down. It was faith that determined Joshua and the people's ability to do what God actually said. Uh, it's time to believe in the word of God, and that means it's time to read the word of God. Thirdly then, so it's time to believe, it's time to believe that God's with us, it's time to believe in God's word, and it's time to believe together. Verses 12 to 18 talk about this tribe, uh, sorry, two and a half tribes who've already got their land. They're sorted. Their wives and children are done and dusted. They're already on to interior decoration. (laughs) And the other nine and a half still have to get over the Jordan and do their stuff. And Moses had said to them, look, you can settle here uh, as long as your men come over, you know, to fight together. And Joshua says the same thing, reminds them of this, and says, you've got to come over with us. And they say, they respond well, don't they? I mean, I've got to say, I like this. They don't just say, oh, all right then. They say, yes, and we'll kill anyone who doesn't join in. That's togetherness, isn't it? I mean, you're going to be motivated to join in. There's going to be no laggards there, are there? It's time to believe together. Now, look, we've all got our own focuses in life. Some of us live, or some of you, live in Botley. I don't live in Botley. Uh, Some of us live on east of Magdalen Bridge. Some of us have a passion to see things happening in our workplace. Some of us actually have our heart set on other nations. Some are about to go there. Uh, all kinds of different focus. But the truth is that we won't take our bit of the land unless we're supported by each other. We can't just focus down into our thing. Because you know what? You can't do it. That's, it's, it's not because you're a weakling or because you can't... Because you know, God's with you. And you're, you, if you are a weakling, that's by the by. I mean, God's with you. But actually, it's God's choice that we do it together. He likes that. He likes us to do it together. He's Trinity. He doesn't really enjoy people doing things by themselves. It bothers him. It's like, I'm not like that. Why are you doing that? You're my people. Don't do that. He wants us to do it together, and he blesses us when we do things together. Last, last weekend, uh, I was on and off a little bit popping into the Greenbelt Festival, which many of you will know about. I just felt God said to go there. The fact that I could get a free ticket helped. Um, and the fact that Bev's parents live about two miles away and I didn't have to camp helped. Um, but I went. And I, was, and I went to a couple of seminars thinking, great, what has God got to say to me here? And I have to say, I was not hugely encouraged by the couple of seminars that I went to. The rest might have been brilliant, but it wasn't a tremendous blessing to my soul. And so I sat down outside the Christian Aid Cafe um, and prayed and said, God, why am I here? This is all a bit odd. And he said, just amble around, will you? So I ambled around, and within 100 yards, I bumped into a family that um, I'd met in North Africa, who are currently back from North Africa and feeling very, very discouraged, and who needed a word of encouragement to say, we're with you, we're going to support you. Um, And then every 50 yards, basically, for the rest of the sort of 24 hours I was there, I bumped into someone. Not everyone in need of encouragement in the same way, but it it kind of was good. From once I stopped trying to learn things and just relating to people, it was good. <laughs> and, um, but these guys from North Africa said to me, I said, what can we do to support you? I said, I want to support you. 
I want to do something to support you. What, what can I do? And they said, we have discovered from our experience that it works like this, that when we're facing a challenge and we just pray as a family, it more often than not doesn't shift the issue. Actually, when we call on the other people that are in the country with us, our close team, to pray about something with us, it, more often than not, it doesn't shift the issue. But when we let other people know that we're in need and we call on others to join us in prayer, then things get sorted and we see victory. We see success. So if you could pray for us, if you could be ready to pray for us you know, when we're facing challenges, that's what we really need. That is what God wants uh, for each of us. That's why we want to pray for those that are going overseas into situations where they'll be less well supported than they are here in most cases. Uh, but also we want to look around at each other a little bit this morning and to recognise that the people around you are your comrades. They are your fellow freedom fighters. Uh, you, you can't win your bit of the battle alone or with the small group that you're part of. There's a need to recognise that we're, being, we're part of something bigger and that counts. So, anyway, my main point some while ago was it's time to believe. Really, honestly. Amen, amen, amen. All of that. It's time to believe. It's time to believe that God is with us. It's time to believe in God's word. And it's time to believe together. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. It's a new season. Season, I believe, of rest, abundance, security. Uh, But it's time to believe.